Welcome to Digication Scholars Conversations. I'm your host, Jeff Yan. In this episode, you will hear part two of my conversation with Joe Tranquillo from Bucknell University. More links and information about today's conversation can be found on Digication's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Full episodes of Digication Scholars Conversations can be found on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. You are about to hear part two of our conversation with Joe Tranquillo from Bucknell University. Please be sure to listen to our previous episode to hear part one of this conversation. You had previously um, been a professor first before you went into administration and right. now being an associate provost. Um, what is that jump like for you? What was the, what was the, what was the difference? <laughs> oh. I mean, there's, I, I know you, by the way, between that, there's, you are in, you know, you have been, you know, leading in leadership institutes and mm-hmm. and had sat on boards and et cetera. So there's there's a lot that that went in between, you know, being a faculty member and being a sure. faculty member and administrator. But yeah. you want to sort of tell us a little bit of sort of the insight if someone's listening who's perhaps a new faculty member or, or young right. faculty member or someone who's maybe thinking about, I've been teaching, but I'm also thinking about like, how do I create more impact in, sure. in my institution? Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, again, no no answers here, right? I'm, I'm one person who followed one path, so that it's not certainly not the right one. Um, and I, I will say, you know, it's kind of ironic. You're asking me now to, to reflect on my career uh, on the spot, right? <laughs> so, so this is this feels actually a little bit selfish. Do that you I get want to... a card? Do you want a card? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, gonna, yeah, you get to pick a card, and then I have to do it live, right, right here. Um, so, I I think that you know, again, there's a lot of pieces to dissect in this, but you're right. It's it's a transition, and it's not one that happened like a switch. I've had a number of. I would say part-time, half-time, right, pieces of administrative roles that um, I've kind of gained over time. I think a lot of the skill sets that I use as an administrator, many of them, not all of them, were were kind of built during things that I did as a professor and did as co-directors of, you know, other places. Um, there have been some surprises, which is, you know, that's fine, right? That's part of the learning process is you learn a, learn a new new thing, a new skill set. Um, so I don't think it was, it was the skills per se were the thing that was surprising or what the, what the shift was. I think many of those, right. I probably, they probably wouldn't have hired me if they thought <laughs> I didn't have those. Um, I, I think, and again, I'm a, I'm kind of a, a system Z kind of person. Um, I think the biggest shift has been one in the way I think about impact, as a classroom professor, there's a, a, a much more limited group of folks that you can impact. That's usually the students who are in your class or the mm-hmm. folks who are your advisees. But you actually, luckily, this is one of the affordances of being in academia, is that you can have a pretty significant impact on that group. And if you see that something's not working, you can switch gears pretty quickly. If you decide that you want to give a particular student um, individual attention or flexibility, you have a lot of autonomy over over how you do that. Again, not infinite, but yep. but you have autonomy. Mm-hmm. And so the time scale on which you can be adaptive and you can learn is 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 pretty fast. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you can adapt that. You know, not not infinitely quickly, but um, but pretty quickly. Yep. 
lots of iterations you can sort yeah, of yeah lots of iterations time, you can do that and try it again try it again mm -hmm. exactly you can you can learn quickly especially and this is a you know a plug to uh to you know to, to new instructors out there is you know pick some small things that you can do um you know it, i don't care if it's muddiest points or whatever right? like pick something that's not grand and totally changing your whole class and repeat it five or six times in a course and you'll get better at it each time you do it um, you'll you'll improve on that one particular thing, and, and along the way, you'll gain some intuition um, about how to meet your students sort of where they are. the The big switch has been, you know, the the higher up in the administration you go. So this is, you know, department chair or dean or whatever, right? You know, the the higher up you sort of move. It, in some ways, the the less autonomy you have over being able to make a quick change that's going to make and it have an impact right away and that's because there's lots more constituents there's lots more stakeholders what may be great for the thermodynamics class as a university-wide policy may be awful for the folks in theater and dance and so you you have lots of different competing interests and and finding something that will be a a, a good policy for everyone is not simple and it goes very slowly because you have to check in with all of those those groups. Right. Um, so I, I think you know that's the that's the downside to some degree. The upside is that, and this is the the, the mindset shift, is that the potential for having a, a wonderful impact mm -hmm. is now much broader. Right, you've right. just expanded the impact you can have, and there's obviously a risk in that, right? If you if you make a mistake, right? Well, it's a mistake for everyone. Um, you also have a negative impact, also. You have, you have you can have the negative impact, right. and the dilemma is that unlike in a class, where where you might be able to undo it and and say, you know what? All right, I take it back. It, it's not as easy to take those things back, right? You know, right. this is this is the difference between turning around the small ship versus turning around the big ship, right? Is right. it it just takes takes longer to make right. course corrections. Right. It's harder to just do. Oh, let's try this differently right. because you now, might, you may not be able to keep doing that over and over. Absolutely, and you know, frankly, you had mentioned the the D school. I had gotten to spend um, about a year. I wasn't embedded for the whole year in the D school, but I got to spend some time in the D school. And I took so many things away from that. I mean, it was so much fun to get to to play with those folks, and 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 not just play with the folks at the D school, but play with the other people from other places in the world who like to play with the D school, right? So right, it's right. it's a magnet, let's, right? Wait, wait, wait. For, let's let's tell people like D school, oh, sure. Stanford, so people know what we're talking about in case yep. they're not aware. Yep. D school at Stanford, you could go look it up. Um, you know, my my take is a, uh, you know, for those of you who haven't seen the IDEO shopping cart video, um, you should go check that out. I think it's on YouTube. And IDEO was one of the um, design firms that was basically really pivotal in bringing the D school about. And there's a line in that video where I think it's David Kelly um, says, you know, this is where the crazies live. Um, <laughs> and, and I, and I think, you know, that wasn't just applying to IDEO. I think it was applying to the D school as well. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, when he said that he didn't mean crazy, like, you know, we're thinking of things that are just stupid and re, you know, silly and all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, they were, we, we want to look at things, you know, you mentioned before, look at something and see something different in it. That that's what they do. And, and I think that there's a reason why they don't exist really under any specific department at Stanford because they're they're meant to be that that 
mix of the folks who want to do things differently, see things differently. So it was it was so much fun to be um, to be embedded in the uh, in, in the D school. Right. And they are the ones who really coined the the term design thinking, which right. is now had you know had been had impact in you know from in industry to academics, right. etc. You know, in in all kinds of ways. But yeah, so you you had this incredible sort of experience there. Sure. Um, I, and I think that, that again, I took lots and lots and lots of different bits and pieces away from the D school. I, I'm trying to even think which one I want to, <laughs> which one I want to pull out. Um, I, I think it was the, the, the biggest thing that I think I took away that's applicable to my job. And it goes back to that, you know, what do you do with the ship that's too big to actually, right? You know, to be turn right. Yeah, you know, you, you you can't turn the whole ship, or if you do, it's going to take a long time. And and I think the analogy that I would use with that is to them to say, go to the captain and ask if you can have a little bit of time and a couple of people on the ship to take out a rowboat. <laughs> right in the area first. Yeah, yeah, right. You know, yeah. Go go explore a little bit first, right? And you know, we're not going to try to explore with the whole ship. We're going to explore with a couple of rowboats and see what we can find. And so, I I think you know that the dilemma is, and this is for for anyone listening, is it always kind of feels like you're driving the big ship, right? You know, if even if right. you're a classroom instructor, it feels like you're driving the big ship. If you're a department chair, it feels like you're driving a big ship. No matter what level you're at, it always feels like you're driving a big ship. So. Are there ways that you can send out some robots, right? Try some things yeah. that are, that are, they may or may not succeed, right? Yeah. And again, this, this isn't just throw stuff at the wall, right? I mean, it's explore smartly, right? You know, use, sure. use data, right? You know, all of that. It's not, not to just you say. You should send have a hunch out. somewhere. You should, yeah. You know, you know have, have a theory. Something's happening, right. Exactly. You know, have, yeah. have some ideas, have some directions. If the Titanic you, had sent other robots before, then, you know. Right. Might have been different. <laughs> um, yeah, right. Exactly. Um, and, and again, I think that's actually a great analogy, right? You know, th this isn't go explore thousands of miles off of the ship. It's explore kind of in the vicinity, right? Because you're not going to steer the ship somewhere completely different all at once. So I, I think what I would encourage folks to do, and again, reflection and lots of other pieces are built into this, is... Can you build in small prototypes and small iterations so that you can iterate a little bit more quickly? Mm -hmm. And one of the things, and I'm saying this here now, um, you all can check back in to see if I've been successful at some point in time, is one of the giant boats in higher ed, and you mentioned it before, is curriculum. Yeah. Once a curriculum becomes put in place, it's a, yeah, you know, at best, we might change it every 10 years. <laughs> you know, it's just like, it's there. And the only way that we change it is at our, if at our next accreditation cycle, the accreditors say, you have to change your they curriculum, really right? Right, yeah. right? Right, right, right. Okay with it, you're not touching it. Yeah, you don't right. You yeah. have that. Yeah, it's with every faculty member going. Yeah, no way. No. It's painful <laughs> right. to get consensus. It's hard. There's going to be folks who right. are going to have to give some things up and change their own direction, right? All of that. Um, so here's one thing that I would love to see happen in higher ed, and there are places that do this. Is could you imagine bringing in? a group of a hundred students and they are guaranteed at the onset that if you try this experimental curriculum, you're going to graduate. You actually don't have to take the 
the existing curriculum. You're going to take this other trial one instead. Yeah, sure. um, and we're not going to screw you at the end, right? You know, where it's, it's not like we're going to say, oh, sorry, now you got to take another year because that, that's not fair to them. Mm-hmm. But it would allow you to try out some ideas, try out some bits and pieces. Right. Um, you know, to some degree, I, I would say this is this is almost a little bit of what some schools do with an honors program. Mm-hmm. Sure. Is they right? They they have a smaller cohort that mm-hmm. that's easier to sort of change things, and they can try things out. And in the ideal world, things that work really well in the honors college, they would then figure out how to scale. And that, again, you know, that's not a perfect recipe. That's not easy to do. Um, but it is a way to, to, to try that, you know, that rowboat. And sometimes it's self-selective too, because right. you might say, hey, this experimental piece includes, for example, a lot of working with the community. Well, guess right. what? Some students, maybe they go, I just want to go to class, yep. do my exams, and I'm happy. Well, they may not be the one who would yeah. sign up. Right. Well, and, and, you know, I, I want to connect this back to, to another piece because you you mentioned being engaged in the community or the student who says, um, you know, I, I just want to want to take my classes. Sometimes that's the same student, right? They just want to do their classes because they want to be so engaged in the community. And this applies right. to athletes. This applies it, right? I mean, there's lots of different yep. groups that that can apply to is that the, the, the piece of learning that they're going to really take away and they're going to remember is going to be something that, yes, they'll take things away from their curriculum, but the piece that will resonate with them throughout their entire life may not be what they thought it was. And they may be learning things in, in other realms. So this goes back to that, the, you know, the whole idea of curriculum, it goes back to the idea of being liberally educated. It goes back to that three-part framework is how can you unite a campus around something? And again, it doesn't have to be my three pieces, right? You know, the genuine caring for others, the yeah. steward of the environment and, and the, you know, continuous investment. Um, it could be, you know, three or four or whatever different pillars, mm-hmm. but can you get civic engagement and your global education off-campus study and, right, all of these other different groups, um, all of the residential education, right? So lots of schools, there's a lot of different bits and pieces that frankly are not working with the same framework, um, and because many of the learning objectives of the university really only are paid attention to by the faculty, I, I can almost guarantee you at most schools, if you asked folks in student life or athletics or global mm-hmm. ed, right, uh, this is maybe an overstatement, what are the university learning goals? They go, I, I don't know, right? Like we don't pay attention to those really. What would it look like for a coach? Mm-hmm an athletic coach to be thinking about how to build those relationships and thinking about how your team is this thing and how do you be a great steward? How do you actually continuously improve? Right. Maybe not intellectually, but athletically, right? So again, it-, it And it, it would have, by the way, taking care of some of those ethical pieces that might have right. come into play, because I think that the one of the things that, um, we, I talked a little bit about, you know, how businesses have done this, mm-hmm. you know, a few years ago. And I, st- I, I want to say that it is, you know, the- um, Sappos CEO Tony Shea had sort of really made it more popular. So right. a lot of companies started having core values. Where mm-hmm. He basically said, "Look, we wanted to make, you know, uh, he wrote a book called Delivering Happiness. We wanted to delight our customers, yep. which include if they want to call us at Zappos and wanted <laughs> to talk to us because they wanted advice on X Y Z. We are not. We're going to use our core value." which does not say get rid of them as soon as possible because that's how we make, you know, generate more 
right handle more call volumes and as a result though you know um the company became ultra successful Mm -hmm. right and i i think that those core values is is kind of what you were talking about it's a layer layer that sits between um uh the that mission statement which might be very grand Mm -hmm. and then the sort of program level outcomes where it starts to get perhaps too granular and maybe too and you know but also includes a lot of subject content subject you know areas but it's sort of sort of a a a simple enough set of like you said a handful at best Mm -hmm. you know uh, a core sort of you know lens and values where Hey, we are about to start this new program. How does it? How does it? Exactly. Run through these these three right. questions. How do? We, are we still doing that? Is it still? Right. An, are we giving an opportunity for people to, 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 to you know, deeply care and genuinely care for each other? You know, uh, being a steward for our environment and mm-hmm. investing yourself. And if so, then it probably fits our model. I I think I think this is you know you're you're on one end of the design side and I've been on the other end right as a as an engineering designer um I I think this is this is exactly 100% right on right is is a lot of great designers kind of practice sort of a push pull between backwards design which is a I kind of have this vision of what I want out in the future but then you got to find a way to actually get there and that's the iterative process where you make small steps yeah. and you might actually realize through that process that you're your vision was wrong, right? So, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a, it's a push pull between, you know, having that, that grand blueprint yeah. that you have, but then being able to not rigidly stick yeah. to it if you learn in the process that it was the wrong thing to do. Um, but I, I think that the point is that the only way that you can simultaneously do those two things and have them intention, cause they will always be intention, right? You'll have these moments where you go like, yeah should we deviate from the blueprint or not right and and the problem is you're never going to get the answer from your process per se and you're not going to get it from the blueprint and you're not going to right so the question is what is it that's going to guide you in in thinking about when you deviate from the blueprint mm-hmm. and and i think you're absolutely right Th- there can be some core grounding principles that help you help you at least make decisions that are that are mm-hmm. in alignment o- over time. Right. Um, and an example of this is, and, it, and it's kind of a you know, it's a goofy exercise, and we haven't exactly done it here at Bucknell, um, but it's one that I, I'm I'm really looking forward to doing. Is we have a number of like like many other schools uh, programs that are run by our institution um, somewhere abroad. So we have a Bucknell in Spain and a Bucknell in London and a Bucknell in Ghana and a but right like so we have kind of a base there and it, it's something that um, typically someone from Bucknell, a staff member, a faculty member, goes there and a group of students will go with them each semester. And there's probably some relationship where students from that place come there. So there's you know there's legal contract and all of that. So we have a number of these programs, you know, Bucknell in blank. The question I proposed to the group was, <laughs> this is going to sound really silly, what if we were building a Bucknell in Pluto, <laughs> right? You know, on the planet Pluto, right? It's a hypothetical exercise. We know we're not going to actually do that. Um, but what would be the things that we would need to think about? And, you know, I'm not talking about like, you know, terraforming the planet and yeah, creating right. a nuclear power plant, right? But like, what would be the things that we would put there? And the entire point of that exercise was, why are we going there? 
what do we need to build on the ground? What, how are we going to actually sustain it? Right. You know, and you, you begin thinking about all the pieces, but as you're designing that, as you're building your blueprint for what that program is going to be, let's make sure that we're sticking to those core pieces. Um, because if we get part of the way down the road and realize that we're in an impossible situation and we're not going to be able to fulfill the, the, the goals, those higher level goals, then we shouldn't do it. Right? It's a really um, wonderful, actually, it's a, a really interesting exercise because it, it tests also your, your values. Yep. If those, those values are working at that you know, at such a dramatically different sort of context, right? Um, it it pushes you to the limit, and 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 in fact, it reminds me when I was at um, um, teaching at Rhode Island School of Design. One of the one of the things that um, our school was privileged to be able to do was to work with NASA, and and NASA had wow. worked with a bunch with our uh, with our industrial design program, and and. Um, so one of the projects I remember they were talking about um, creating sort of what the interior of a space shuttle, how is it going to function, you know? Mm -hmm. And as an industrial designer, you're creating objects, right? Like IDEO would be, except sure. that you, if if learning content was going to be the thing, mm -hmm. it would be completely, it would be really weird because first of all, gravity doesn't exist. So right. everything right. that you take, like your cup, having a flat, bottom sits on the <laughs> doesn't table, work doesn't work whoops right and so so suddenly it's almost like oh we have to we are no longer taking the cup you know we don't learn that a cup has to have a flat bottom right we learn that why why is that the case why is that so yep. important and then you kind of have to sort of you know understand it at a deeper level so suddenly yep. you have a more respect when you actually look at a cup on earth and why <laughs> this way right isn't that so interesting I, well i i love it and this again goes back to that idea of of lenses and mm -hmm. um Again, somebody who's associated with the D school, Tina Selig, um, has all sorts of fun things that she does um, and questions that she'll prompt designers with. Um, there are things like, um, and again, they're meant to get you out of ruts. Um, what would you do if you only could make this for one dollar, right? I don't care if it's a space shuttle, redesigning a space shuttle. Like, right. what would you sure, do, yeah. right? right. Um, you know, what about if this was going to be for a one-year-old or for right? So you mm. you keep kind of playing with things, and and I think to a point you made much earlier most of those questions, you're going to come up with ridiculous answers that make absolutely no sense whatsoever. Mm -hmm. But that's not the point, right? Yeah. The point is to come up with the one thing that might disrupt your thinking. Right. Um, right. I, I don't know if you've seen uh, Edward de Bono. He's one of the, he did like the six hats thinking technique and he's done, he was the lateral thinking guy and all of that. Mm -hmm. um, he came up with a whole bunch of different, different ideas of how you can actually get out of ruts. Um, and one of them is called provocation. Uh, and again, I don't even think the book is, is out in print anymore, but it's got also a whole methodology that you follow. And what I loved about it was you go through these exercises and do them not for the idea that you're going to have now in the moment, it's the one you're going to get in the shower. It's the one you're going to get a week from now on vacation. It's the one, right? It, right, it right. And again, you know, going back to that junk drawer idea, right? It's kind of a, like provocation is rattled the junk drawer, right? Yeah. You know, to make it more likely that something might might mm -hmm. come out. Um, right. and, and that, you know, it can't be completely planned, but that, right. 
there's a there's an and he literally called it of unsettling your mind, right? Unsettling yeah. kind of the way you think about things. And ironically, one of the examples that he used was um, was cups. <laughs> um, and, it, and it's great. And and he he one of the techniques was take something and sort of ruin it, right? Make it so that it's like the stupidest thing ever. And one of the examples was take a cup and put a round bottom on it. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, that's stupid, right? That makes no, it's going to, it's going to tip over. But then the, the, that was the provocation, but where he went with it was, well, okay, it'll tip over. That means that, that people won't want to put it down, right? They'll want to, they'll want to hold mm-hmm. it. Right. Okay. Well, there may be situations where you don't want people to put cups down just anywhere. Oh, you're having a party. You don't want people to just put their cups down anywhere. So what could you do? Well, you make a holder (laughs) and you build it into something, right? So now that cup will only fit in certain places um, that you get to control where folks would actually put things down. So again, it, you know, it's kind of one of those, it would be a stupid solution, but there are some situations where it would make sense to have round bottom cups. Does such as a test tube. That, that's exactly right. Yep. Right. It's a, that, that is what a test tube is. Right. And so let me, I, I want to go dr- drive the conversation to, I think we're going to go way over, but I, I wanted <laughs> that's, to. That's like, okay. That's I wanna, okay. I want to, I want to ask you one thing because typically in this, in these conversations, we don't necessarily talk a lot about e-portfolios mm-hmm. you know, as a, as a mandate, but, um, I am so fascinated by what you've set up so far, which has, mm-hmm. you know, you have these, um, you know, what does a, a new set of values may look like, you know, mm-hmm. a, for, for students when you think about new curriculum, new models and new programs. Um, you also have sort of this idea of students, you know, having to work with purpose and, and, and how that might engage with these different different ways of, you know, sort of thinking about the world and then they Mm -hmm. inform each other. We talk about reflection. Um, It feels like to me that, um, I mean, I would love to hear about your sort of vision and insights on how all of that manifests itself in all themselves into e-portfolios. Sure. Um, I know that you're also working with um, AAC and you on the ePortfolio Institute. Right. Um, I imagine you're probably talking about stuff like that there as well. Sure. Um, do you want to share a little bit of that, even knowing that maybe it's work in progress? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and, and again, I, I think it's it's the wonderful part about the like any of the high impact practices is that there's kind of some core ideas and best practices within each one, but there's no right right way to do it. Um, And so what I think has been interesting to dissect at Bucknell, and this has been, you know, we're, we've kind of just started in terms of our launch, but it's been a topic that's been around for at least 20 years. And there have been kind of starts and fits and, you know, things would start in one place, but then kind of die. And then they'd start in another place and they'd kind of die. Um, This has been the first coherent university-wide kind of full force. We're going, you know, more more or less all in um, on on e-portfolios. And I think as part of that, 
what needed to be clarified was the why. You know, why? What? What is it that we're doing this for? And there were a lot of possible whys that we had to explore. And you know, that again, they they could all be just fine. Um, you know, some it's a well, it's a fantastic assessment tool. We can collect artifacts from students, and then we have them all in one place, and it makes it easier to right. You know, kind of kind of um, do that. Um, it can also be a great resource for students in terms of going out and searching for internships and research experiences and even explaining to their parents, right? You know, like, this is what I did. Isn't this a cool project, right? You know, um, that that's a very outward looking, um, using the e-portfolio as a technological tool for the dissemination of your work totally fine. And there are some disciplines that like, you have to do that, right? I mean, it's part of education um, in the arts. Often, if you're going to go in into the arts, um, you need a portfolio and in, in engineering as well, in architecture too. Um, I think what we did was to acknowledge that those are all there, but that the core why of what we wanted to do was developmental. And it was to allow students to have a, a place where they could see their growth and development happening they don't have a lot of instances where they can they can do that. Um, it happens, but again, it happens unintentionally by accident. Um, you know, we we kind of this is the the snarky version of me. Um, when it comes to things like connecting the dots between all of their experiences and all that, um, reflecting on them, we kind of do this, right? And I'm crossing my fingers right now for those who can't can't see it, right? You know, we kind of say if we put them in this great, rich, amazing, immersive experience, and we give them these experiences, we trust that they're going to connect the dots for themselves and all that. To me, the pedagogy of ePortfolios is is the process of putting it together, the process of curating it, the process of making decisions about what you put in and how much and how you actually write about it. You may never show it to anyone. And it's one of the things that I love about Digication is that you can have multiple portfolios. You could have one that's just for you. And and it's your it's your place to explore to try things right you know to go back to our earlier analogy you know <laughs> it's your rowboats right if you want to have five or six of them and explore different career paths um to see how the things that you have done up to this point might send you along those trajectories you could do that you could use it as an exploratory tool um so i think that's more in the vein of what we've been working on um along with a variety of other initiatives, I would say very high level initiatives that we have. Um, some of those we've already talked about in, in bits and pieces, and that is how do we get to see students, how do we help students see that they're learning everywhere on this campus? Mm -hmm. They're learning in the conversations they're having with, with others, faculty, staff, their fellow students, um, in dining halls, um, you know, if they're on an athletic team, that their coach is a resource, that they're right. So, and this kind of goes on and on and on of yeah. how can they view the whole environment as a place that's helping them learn? Right now, some of them do it um, naturally. And, and some of them don't. And so I think, you know, as a pedagogy, ePortfolios hopefully is a place for, for different types of learners to see that, that integration of their, their, all that they're getting here. This concludes part two of our conversation with Joe Tranquillo from Bucknell University. To hear part three, be sure to subscribe to Digication Scholars Conversations on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Digication Scholars Conversations is brought to you by Digication, a technology platform powering the most innovative e-portfolio programs in K-12 and higher education. 
Our website could be found at digication.com. This episode was produced by Jeff Yan and Drew Albanicius. Thanks for listening.